Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is called Calvary 316. We are located very close to Highway 316 on the way from Atlanta to Athens. If you're a local, check us out. Our Sunday service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church by visiting our church website. Very easy. It's calvary316.com.net.org. Google us.tv. We own all the domains. We'd love for you to join us. Regardless of where you're listening, I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perception that the world has of Christians by boldly, brashly, honestly discussing today's relevant topics in a way that is biblically founded and, it's our heart, reflects Jesus. Uh, This is the second episode that I am joined uh, by my sidekick, Creighton Vaughn. Creighton, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Hello, Zach. How are you? Great, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm good. So, Creighton, this is your second episode. Josh, from his productions, our producer, has given uh, a little bit of helpful creative criticism. What were some of the things that Josh said you needed to to get better at? Uh, be less nervous uh, and uh, on the mic, which I'm going to try and do. And the other one was talk more, which I'm also going to try to do. We'll see how that goes. I'm not so sure that we want you talking a lot more. <laughs> Let me recast just kind of to the audience uh, your your role on the Outlaw Radio Show. I've known Creighton. How many years, you would say? Uh, I'm 26, so about 26 years. <laughs> so your entire life, not just adult life. Uh, right. I know your parents. Uh, we Both of us grew up in the same church, Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain. Uh, Creighton, I was his youth pastor from 6th grade to 10th grade when I was serving. 12th uh, grade, all at, the way through. All the way through, middle school, high school. And then when I left Calvary to start Calvary 316, Creighton had been interning, came with me, told him I couldn't pay him anything, said the Lord would provide, and we've just kind of been on this crazy journey. So Creighton has been my sidekick. He's more than a friend. He's a brother. But again, his role on this show is really what his role has been on this show, just no one knew it. Uh, (laughs) Over and over and over again, Creighton listens. How do you listen, Creighton? Uh, Podcast, always. Podcast, always. So like, where are some of the places where you would listen to the podcast? Uh, generally on Google play music, but I know you can also get it on like iTunes. Um, and if it's on iTunes, it's basically anywhere that has podcasts, anywhere that has a podcast. Where do you like actually physically listen to podcasts? Oh, at work when I'm working, when you're working, are you allowed to listen to podcasts when you're working? Oh yeah. They don't, they don't care as long as they get the job done. As long as you're getting the job done. So what's great about podcasting in case you don't understand what podcasting is audience is that, um, every episode of the outlaw radio show, um, I send, I record in the studio, I send the audio files to Josh at his productions, he takes them, he edits them, produces them, works his magic for radio, Um, it gets uploaded to a server, all of our radio partners go to the server, download it, and and that's how you're listening if you're listening on the radio. Once that happens, I go and get these two files, put them back together, and And then we put them on our server, podcast it. And so if you're not able to listen to one of the episodes, but you're a subscriber to the podcast, what's really cool is that it comes to you automatically. So if you're a subscriber, let's say it's on your iPhone, uh, you'll pop up with a notification, say, hey, there's a new episode of Outlaw Radio. You can listen to it then in its entirety, which is great if you're driving around, you're in the car, uh, you can only catch 15 minutes, but you're interested in the topic. Um, Most often, more often than not, um, the podcast uh, is delivered to the audience before we hit radio. And so if you're listening right now and, and you got to go, but you want to hear the episode, you can automatically like right now go and download it. Super easy to stream and it's great. So Creighton listens on the podcast, correct? Yes. Every episode, it downloads to your phone. You listen at work and on the car ride, whatnot, correct? Yeah. Okay. So Creighton listens, an avid listener. He's my brother. I'm always talking to Creighton about church stuff. We, we we get together, what would you say, weekly, bi-weekly, a couple times a week? Probably a couple of times a week. Creighton lives literally a mile from me, and so we spend we live life together. He's part of my family. So we're constantly talking about church stuff. We're talking about Bible study stuff, theology, and almost weekly, Outlaw Radio, whatever I talked on that week, whatever podcast Creighton listened to that week, uh, we'd be sitting out on the back deck, and he'd bring up questions, basically audience feedback sitting on my back deck, correct? Yep. So Creighton would ask questions, and we would have wonderful conversation. 
about whatever that particular topic was. And so I presented the idea one evening, like, you know, we should just do this on the Outlaw Radio Show. You should, you should be on the show as kind of an audience member. So at any point, if there's a question that needs to be asked or something that needs to be challenged or something I should elaborate on, you can kind of represent the audience, right, Creighton, and interject. Right. That's what, my, what I'm here for is that kind of interjection. That kind of interjection, that kind of listener feedback. And so Creighton, uh, he's my sidekick. He's on the show, not always to talk, but definitely to interject uh, when it's appropriate. Let me get very quickly kind of to the topic of hand. And it involves missions. It also involves the previous episode of the Outlaw Radio Show, uh, where we talked about um, kind of the church, its relationship with culture, Jesus and the Gospel of John telling his disciples, the world will hate you, the world will persecute you, how the church has enjoyed a lot of comfort for many, many years. Our nation founded on certain freedoms. We have a Bill of Rights. These things were constituted, one being not just the freedom of speech, but the freedom of religion, the freedom from for assembly and having religious thought. More recently, we've been seeing cultural shifts in America where these particular freedoms are being chipped away at. A lot of us had a grave concern during the Obama administration, seeing some of these religious freedoms uh, under attack. Um, not to say that it's the only reason, but I know that one of the reasons evangelicals supported Donald Trump was this particular fear and the fact that you had a, a candidate from the Republican Party that was making promises to preserve religious freedom and religious thought. I mean, and we've seen things. We've seen um, Christian bakers, um, you know, being sued because um, on their religious convictions, they w- don't want to artistically participate in, in a wedding where the, the parties challenge their, their, their moral convictions. My point is that in light of this kind of fear that we have in American culture, that somehow the success of the church is predicated upon a favorable governmental structure, I thought a great a transitional topic that's very related to this, and this will unpack throughout the episode, is a recent trip that I took to Cuba. Now, in case you're unaware of kind of the the political realities of Cuba, the backstory of Cuba, I want to unpack today's episode by kind of explaining how Cuba is Cuba, uh, what's happened kind of historically uh, to set up the current political environment, the current political uh, realities. Uh, then I want to take some time and explain uh, why I went to Cuba. This was actually uh, my second trip. We're involved in 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 some missions there, a partnership with a particular church. Uh, I'll only refer to him as Ramon. I'm not going to mention the town. Uh, that will make more sense uh, as the episode uh, works its way out. But then I want to make a, a much larger point because um, the Lord really spoke to me when I was in Cuba about this concept of the church and its relationship to government and to go to a, a place where the government is not favorable to the church and to see a work that's happening, uh, I think is a, is a really important exhortation, important lesson uh, for all of us. So to begin with, let me just kind of uh, talk a little bit about, about Cuba. Cuba is, a, is an island about 90 miles uh, south of Miami. Uh, Cuba has a long history with the United States. Um, Cuba was originally colonized by the Spanish, um, like most countries, uh, during the colonial period of time, there was a huge, uh, slave population, a slave remnant. Uh, when you go to Cuba, one of the things that will strike you, um, is you'll see three different, um, shades of Cuban. Uh, you'll see Cubans that look very Hispanic. Um, you'll see... Cubans that look very Anglo, and that's the European roots of, of the Spanish influences. And then you'll see um, some Cubans that are that are absolutely black, um, much in the same way of, of African Americans, and that's because of the slave remnant. Um, in 1898, a gentleman by the name of Jose Marti, who was really an, an intellectual thinker, a philosopher, um, he was paramount in Cuban independence, Cuban gaining independence fighting back against the Spanish, um, Cuban independence, 1898. Um, 
Fast forward into the 1940s, the early 1950s, and you had a man by the name of Batista um, who came, became president. You had a major American influences in the, the, the 1910s, the 20s. As a matter of fact, during Prohibition, uh, the mob had a significant influence um, in Cuba and Havana. Um, a lot of American thinkers would go back and forth. Again, it's 90 miles um, off the coast of, of, of Florida. Um, just a quick boat ride. Um, lots of tourism. 1940s, 1950s, President Batista, uh, he, he came to power, uh, initially Democratic, um, ended up losing power. Uh, Batista didn't like that. Ended up taking over the country with his own military coup, coup in 1952. Interestingly enough, um, his military coup uh, was backed by American influence. So uh, the Americans were very much behind Batista uh, taking over the country. And immediately, uh, while he had also promised democratic reforms and influences, um, he became a dictator. Um, was really in the pockets of American corporations. Now, while this was happening, uh, there was a young lawyer who petitioned the courts that Bautista's presidency was un unconstitutional. Uh, lawyer came from academia, um, arguing vehemently that what was happening when against democracy was unconstitutional, set a bad precedent. What's interesting is that this young lawyer's name was Fidel Castro. Now, his legal challenges failed. And it was at this point that Fidel, having conversations with men like his brother, Raul, um, a, a revolutionary, an Argentinian by the name of Che Guevara, Fidel decided that since he couldn't legislatively or legally challenge Bautista and what was happening, uh, the cronyism um, within Cuba, he decided his only option was revolution. Again, him and a group of merry men. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all of the history. You can Google it and read for it on your own. Uh, but Fidel Castro rose to power. Uh, he rose to prominence um, as what we would call a populist. Um, he was a nationalist, a Cuban populist. Um, he wanted to kick out the foreigners. He was a champion of the poor. Um, within the structure that existed, there was a lot of uh, injustices and inequalities. The rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer. You had major American corporations running a lot of farms and the sugarcane. Um, Trickle-down economics wasn't working in that particular context. And so uh, Fidel really had a voice to the underclass, a voice to those that felt marginalized. And as a result, his revolution grew, and it grew. Interestingly enough, um, Fidel Castro at this point was not a known communist uh, to the point that historically um, it was the CIA that ended up sending quite a bit of arms. You see, during Batista, when it became clear who he really was, American foreign policy concerning Cuba began to shift, began to shift away from Batista. The American embargo against Cuba, a lot of people don't know this, it was instituted against Batista and then carried over later on uh, to Fidel. The CIA armed Fidel. It was, uh, it was a coup, and sure enough, Fidel was... Uh, successful in overthrowing the Batista government. Now, here is the problem. He rose to power, and then he shifted. He was a populist, a nationalist, Cuba first. Make Cuba great again. But what ended up happening is it didn't take long for him to come out as a communist, for ties and allegiances to the Soviet Union to become known, for him to confiscate guns, place restriction against the freedom of press. We're running against a break. We'll pick this up. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe yet alone why they believe what they do. 
This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm really building on an idea established in our, our last episode. And that's the connection, the interesting connection between the church and government. And in America, we feel as though in order for the church to thrive, which it has, um, that's best seen or accomplished through a favorable governmental structure. And there's no doubt that a favorable governmental structure um, helps in regards to the church operating and growing and, and, and being useful. That being said, a recent trip that I took to Cuba um, really highlighted for me the idea that it's not necessary. Um, as a matter of fact, there are some tangible benefits uh, for the church when the government is in opposition to them. Now, talking about Cuba, trying to establish some context for the recent trip that I took, and kind of recapping the political realities by telling a little bit of the history. So Fidel Castro ends up a revolution under the premise of being a nationalist, a populist, comes to power, immediately his shades start changing color. Instead of a lot of the reforms that he was arguing for the people, he started to show communist colors, immediately confiscated guns, no right to bear arms, shut down national press, rolled out a, 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 a national, basically, propaganda machine. In addition to that, he started confiscating um, farmland. Um, it was during this period of time that you had a mass exodus, not just of Cubans seeing what was happening, but businesses. Um, cigar companies were leaving. Sugarcane companies were leaving. Bacardi. Bacardi rum ends up leaving. Farmland gets confiscated from those who know how to farm and given to, to peasants who have never farmed a day in their lives. The Cuban Revolution quickly became a communist revolution. And if you know the history, it didn't take long for the Soviet Union to see an opportunity. We're in the height of the Cold War. They end up partnering, partnering with Fidel and start sending money. Fidel Castro becomes a bit of a pawn for communism. It was during this period of time that the Americans are out spreading democracy and communism, the communist Soviets, saw Cuba as a, as a great opportunity to kind of poke the bear and be a thorn in our side to the point we almost ended up in nuclear war and we had the Cuban Missile Crisis and, and again, you can look at the history of all of this. In exchange for being a pawn, Fidel was not a stupid man. They were subsidized. The entire economy of Cuba was subsidized mainly because the embargo that the United States placed on Cuba, meaning that, that there were no banking opportunities, no transition of money could take place from the United States or American banks to Cuban banks, uh, the embargo of goods and services basically cut off from the United States. Again, this is an embargo not worldwide, but just of the America, America, United States of America to Cuba. Again, began under Batista, continued under Fidel, uh, was strangling the economy. An, an economy that was largely dependent on American influence, that influence being gone, Cuba was struggling to recover from that, enter the Soviets, who began to bankroll the country. Now, the problem is that the Soviet Union started to have their own problems, their own difficulties, their own financial troubles. Ronald Reagan, the Star Wars, we started huge military spending. The Russians tried to keep up. We basically spent them into financial ruin. Quite a thing. Now, the early 90s, the Soviet Union can no longer send money to Fidel. The, the, the well has run dry which is not good if you're Fidel Castro. The entire economy subsidized. 
you go to Cuba and you see some of the, the remnants of one of the last social projects of the Soviets in Cuba, they came down and built concrete overpasses on the highways. And sure enough, today, if you drive on these highways, you will see these concrete overpasses. The only problem is that there are no roads that lead to either side of these bridges. Again, they, they, the Soviets did this, but the Cubans didn't have the money to complete the projects. Now, in a crisis, what ended up happening is that Fidel Castro ended up partnering. He ended up sending some of his mercenaries uh, to help in Venezuela, a man by the name of Hugo Chavez come to power. Um, first started in the early 90s, Hugo Chavez ultimately came to power in 1999. In exchange for Cuban support and influence, Venezuela promised free oil to Cuba. That again subsidized the Cuban economy. Now, Venezuela has economic problems. Those economic problems means that the run money's running out, which is why you saw under the Obama administration a renewed interest in the Castro brothers of trying to normalize relations with America. They have a major economic problem. And you see this when you go to Cuba. You, it's almost heartbreaking. You go to Havana and you can see that this was a beautiful city. I mean, the architecture's gorgeous. But it's all crumbling. It's a crumbling infrastructure. One of the greatest... Uh, threats to human life in Havana, no kidding. And Creighton, you've seen pictures of this, mm -hmm. is that outside in these beautiful Spanish uh, buildings that were built in the 1800s and haven't been touched since the 1800s, the balconies, the concrete on the balconies are falling off and they kill people walking on the roadways, on the street corners. You have these wooden structures supporting them all the way up. It, it's It's tragic. The American embargo has choked the country. It's been subsidized by communism. That's running out. The grand problem is what's known as the 49% rule. The 49% rule within Cuba means that anyone that wants to start a business or any outside influence that wants to build a hotel, let's say, you are only allowed, you can spend 100% of whatever it costs to build the building, operate the building, etc. You can only make or maintain a 49% ownership stake. The Cuban government has a 51%. It's nationalism, communism. They own everything. Every alcohol company, uh, every uh, public works company, every media company, every hotel, which is why it's alarming. Uh, more recently, today, as a matter of fact, Cuba was trying to, to come up with a, a, a policy with Major League Baseball. Cuba loves baseball. The Cuban people love baseball. Interestingly enough, Fidel Castro played in the minor leagues. He loved baseball. Cubans have produced a lot of wonderful, very talented baseball players, many of them in the major leagues right now. Yasiel Puig from the Reds is, is just one of many examples. Cuba looks for anything that it can make money on, the government. Its number one export is doctors. Doctors in Venezuela, doctors in Brazil. Interestingly enough, Brazil has just kicked out something like 50,000 doctors, Cuban doctors. So Cuba has just recently struck a deal with Algeria. They'll be sending their doctors to Algeria in exchange for Algerian oil. That's where we're at. The other big exporter is their mercenaries. If you need an army for hire, the Cuban uh, government is more than willing to lend you theirs. Baseball players, to get to the major leagues, it's been a harrowing thing. You've had to, to board a raft and try to get yourself to Cuba. I mean, not to Cuba, but to, to Miami, to the Keys, to American soil. That policy was ended uh, under the Obama administration. Used to be that if you could get to American soil, you were granted asylum. Today, you're not. You're sent back. And if you're sent back, you're sent to a prison. It's terrible. So most Major League Baseball players or baseball players that want to make it to the Major Leagues, they work their way into Mexico. They hire Coyotes to get them through Juarez. And then they get to the United States, sign with an agent, sign with a Major League Baseball team. But they've defected. Now, what Cuba's trying to do is to strike a deal with Major League Baseball saying, we'll send you our ball players." But we want a 40% cut in anything that they make. And just today, the Treasury Department shot that, done, shot that down entirely. 
uh, and said that that wasn't a possibility. So I, just to yes. make sure that I understand this correctly, they wanted to send Cubans to play in Major League Baseball in America and then wanted to take 40% of what the players made themselves or what oh, yes. the, and what the MLB made off of the players in terms of like merchandising and things like that? Oh, yes, absolutely. No, again, it's an export. Wow. They, they wanted to export baseball players because what the Cuban government was saying is that hey, we have a revenue stream that we're not tapping into. So instead of trying to keep ball players in Cuba, let's export them to America so that we can get a cut. And that's how this entire country operates. Cuba, the best way to describe it, it's a nation founded on a cult of personality. Communism has failed. The people understand that. But at the same time, there's nothing they can do about it. Now, I don't want to bore you with all of the, 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 the background of Cuba. Again, we're establishing a context. Within Cuba, atheism rules supreme. Fidel Castro was an atheist, had major issues with Christianity. Now, that doesn't mean that Christianity was exterminated or eradicated in Cuba. Christianity does exist, but it exists with major restrictions. Now, the caveat is that the Catholic Church kind of has, um, for a lot of reasons, um, uh, they're kind of excluded. But we're talking about Protestant Christianity. In Cuba, you're not allowed to build a church building. You can't build a church building. It is illegal for you to build a church building. Now, the Catholics can build and operate independent buildings, but no Protestant church can. What they require is that, okay, you can have a church... But it has to be a home church. And, and the thinking is that this limits uh, the, the, the reach and the scope of Christians in a community because it keeps them isolated and limited to their facility. Now, again, I'm setting some context. When we come back, I want to kind of begin to tie this in to the larger idea of the church and how it operates within a governmental system. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, thanks for listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams and Creighton Vaughn. Today, the topic is the church in Cuba. Stay with us. This is only the first half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Zach and Creighton will be back with part two of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Here's Zach with the second half of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show with special guest, Creighton Vaughn. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I want to just again reiterate, and I feel like sometimes I sound like a broken record, uh, but it's very important to us to hear from you. Uh, again, radio, podcasting, it's an interesting form of communication because you don't see the audience you don't know the audience you don't um, have any idea how what you're communicating what you're articulating what you're sharing how that's landing with those that are listening as a pastor um, you know I preach from a pulpit to a live audience um, I have a good idea um, if people are connecting if they're engaging if they're relating to what I'm saying so again, it's very important to us to hear from you. Your listener feedback uh, really helps us with the crafting of the Outlaw Radio Show. Uh, you can submit topics. You can ask questions. Um, we would love to hear testimonials, how something that was maybe discussed, how that impacted you, how it challenged you. Um, literally, there's nothing off limits. If you hated an episode or had strong disagreements about what I said or thought my opinion or my position on that was out of line. Again, we I'd love to hear from you. We'd love to, to carry that conversation uh, into the show, into future shows, making the show better. So to contact us, um, there's a few ways that you can do it. The easiest way by far is email. Our email address is info at outlawradio.org. If you're on Facebook, you can also reach out to us, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. And then also Twitter. We're on Twitter. Our handle is at radio underscore outlaw. So again, just to reiterate it, 
in case you're driving in the car. Uh, info at outlawradio.org, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, or our Twitter is at radio underscore outlaw. Uh, if you forget all of that, you can visit our website, which is outlawradio.org. Uh, again, from the website, you can check out the podcast, listen to this episode in its entirety. In discussing this topic of Cuba and why I've, I find this so important and why I find it so relevant really begins with a bit of background into how I got connected uh, with ministry in Cuba and how our church ultimately uh, got plugged into a very unique ministry. Um, a few years ago, a good friend of ours, uh, Jerry, and again, I'm not going to use last names, uh, Jerry's son is on our elder board. He's a dear friend of mine. Uh, Jerry, uh, at a young age, uh, full-blooded Cuban, uh, grew up in Havana, um, was on one of the last flights out of Havana during Fidel's revolution. Um, his family, like so many others, saw what was coming, uh, got to the United States, and Jerry um, became an American. Uh, Cuban ancestry, but he's an American, uh, became an American citizen, went to American school, learned English, um, assimilated, um, became a very successful businessman in his own right. Well, later in life, after retirement, uh, Jerry, who is also a, a godly man, loves Jesus, one of the, one of the sweetest brothers I know, um, Lord kept stirring his heart about Cuba. You know, it had been uh, where he was born, where he spent his formative years, uh, had never been back, uh, has lots of friends in the Cuban community, uh, lives in Fort Lauderdale, and and just started kind of asking around the water coolers in, um, in these Cuban populations if there were any missions opportunities or outreach opportunities or, or work that he could get involved with um, in Cuba. Well, long story short, this process that Jerry embarked on, um, many steps of faith along the way, uh, ended up leading him to an individual, again, I've got to leave names out of it, um, who frequently, through the Methodist Church, um, went to Cuba, um, had a lot of connections, a lot of networking, and I should go ahead and, and say that um, there's not a lot of denominations that exist within Cuba, uh, aside from the, the Roman Catholic um, there is a, a strong presence of the United Methodist Church um, in Cuba. Now, it's different than the American United Methodist Church. As a matter of fact, the Cuban uh, Methodists broke from the American Methodists because the American Methodists were becoming too liberal. So uh, they're more associated with certain uh, Methodist movements in South Florida. Cuba kind of has its own thing. It's more of a, a, a John Wesley version uh, of of the Methodist belief system kind of take an American Methodist church and a American Pentecostal church, blend them together and you have kind of a Cuban Methodist. Um, so Jerry got connected with some of these Cuban Methodists. They, they brought to his attention, a young man um, recently married to two kids um, was pastoring this church in kind of an obscure rural part of Cuba that had no backing, no support, um, no one was, was helping him whatsoever. He was kind of on his own island, on an island, doing his own thing, being led by the Lord, but had a heart for Jesus. So Jerry was like, okay, how do I get to Cuba? Can I even get to Cuba? How does this work? And so, um, again, this was a period of a few years connected to the right people, ended up going. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Andy, my friend, uh, they went down to Cuba and and as, apart from sight, sightseeing and, and kind of getting the lay of the land and Jerry visiting several places that he grew up and showing his son and whatnot, they made this long journey out to this remote part of Cuba to meet Pastor Ramon. And Jerry, his family, they fell in love with Ramon and his wife and their kids. And, and where they were living was, was third world, to be honest. Um, the home that they were in um, had dirt floors, uh, no kitchen, it was outside. Um, the conditions they were living in, ministering and serving in were, were abject. It was poverish. Um, again, going back to an earlier part, you can't build a church building in Cuba. So it's limited to a home, a home church. 
Uh, the way around that is that um, the Methodist denomination and other Christian missionaries, they'll buy a home and build a good size garage or separate building uh, that the church will meet in. So it's literally a parsonage with the church building as part of the home. Uh, same situation here with Ramon, but they were packing the place. It was basically nothing more than 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 a uh, a garage with a roof, very very little walls, no air circulation, and when it rained, you had basically a flood of water run through the place. But they loved Jesus, so they were there for a church service and just saw their love. And so, uh, my friend Andy and his dad, they came back like we need to do something. And so they decided that they needed to first change Ramon's living situation, um, buy him a home that had a big enough space that they could build a church building. So all that ended up happening. They raised the money, muled the money into Cuba. You can't just send money. Again, the embargo, uh, financial restrictions. So you got to have people carry money down. Um, they bought a house. They bought building materials, um, hired local Cubans to build this building. It was, took a process of a few years. Um, they don't have quick creep. Um, and so they literally have to get sand and rubble and mortar and mix their own concrete to build uh, structures. And they had to borrow wood for forms. It's just this crazy thing. Things are super expensive. Things go very slow. But it was really a labor of love. These people were were being funded, but they were doing it on their own. And just such a sweet thing. In the process of that, the our church, Calvary 316, got involved financially. And, and in 2015, November, me and one of our elders, Larry, we took a trip down to meet Ramon. Uh, I got to speak at the church service that Wednesday night. Um, it was one of the neatest experiences of my life. Just a really sweet deal. Again, they speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. I, I'm, I'm great with short-term missions. I'm not called to overseas missions. That's not my that's not my thing. That's not my calling. I'm I'm I barely speak English, yet alone learning a different language. Just not my cup of tea. And yet to go there and, and to and to worship with people you, you don't really understand, but you can see it in their face, it's the same spirit, this interconnectedness, and to see their love for one another and their joy and the gospel going forth. In this town, again, I'm not gonna mention it by name, the Lord is using Ramon, he's using this church. And the gospel is spreading. It's an amazing thing to see. Again, we went in 2015 when they were still building the forums, forums for the, the church building itself. And then this past year, just a couple months ago, the building is completed. They wanted to do a pastor's conference. They had over 400 people at the facility. I was invited to go down and to speak on the topic of, topic of grace. Again, one of the top three experiences of my life. We're running against a break. We're going to bring all this kind of together. When we come back, don't go anywhere for more of the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined by my sidekick, Creighton Vaughn. Creighton? Hello. I'm still here, indeed. You're still here. You're the resident observer. You're the audience member. Uh, I want to make sure that we set some time aside at the end uh, of our show uh, for some of your thoughts and feedback for some conversation. But before we get to that, I want to kind of tie this together. We're talking about Cuba and a recent trip that I took. And, and I'm talking about Cuba from... A larger context of of really us, the American church. You know, we live in, in in a time where, and I think it's it's fair to say, our culture is changing. I think that there are certain aspects of our culture that are that are changing for the better. At the same time, I also think that there are some aspects of our culture that that aren't changing for the better. I, I'm not one of these leave it to Beaver 
type of individuals that 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 look at the 1950s with rose-colored glasses. Uh, I understand what Donald Trump means when he says make America great again. I also understand how certain people have the criticism to that. Again, um, if you're an African-American with roots to the civil rights movement or to Jim Crow or, or go back to slavery, it's like make America great again, but it wasn't great then for me or if you're Native American. America's not a perfect country. Uh, we've righted a lot of our wrongs. Women couldn't vote. That was not fair. Our Constitution says that all men are created equal, but we didn't operate that way. And so I, I understand both sides of the coin. I understand the fear that people have, Christians, that the cultural changes we see happening will infringe on our particular rights. And in a democracy, uh, we have the opportunity to voice and vote accordingly. Uh, on the flip side, I, I'm not one of these people that, that just look back in the past and say it was all good, that we shouldn't be progressive, that we shouldn't evolve in certain ways, that we shouldn't seek to be better. Um, again, uh, uh, capitalism is not fundamentally godliest, nor is communism. Uh, I made this comment this past Sunday that um, while it's true communism fuels the greed of a few, uh, capitalism enables the greed of all. It's still greed. Uh, Jesus was neither a free market uh, champion or a social justice warrior. Um, he's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's promising a kingdom from heaven, not of this earth. And that's what we're longing for. But my point is that there is a very real fear in the American church that these cultural shifts, these changes, um, the erosion of certain rights... Um, is going to lead to a less favorable political environment for the church to operate. And our fear is that somehow that's going to be detrimental to the church and restrictive to the spread of the gospel. And my point in talking about Cuba and my experiences in Cuba is that here you have a dictatorship. Fundamentally. I mean, yeah, okay, it's communism. But it's it's a dictatorship. Um... Instead of, instead of there being one large middle class, there's one large lower class and 0.01% of the upper class. Literally, the Communist Party in Cuba controls all. They make all the money. They keep all the money. Take one trip to Cuba and you'll see that. So you have a government, it's a dictatorship. Yeah, even right now, Miguel Diaz-Canal is the president. It, he's a puppet. Raul Castro is still in charge of the Communist Party. And as long as the Castros are in charge, nothing will ever really change. There's a longing for freedom, a longing for, for, for things, the political environment to shift. But that's not the case right now. And, and, and here you have a man, his wife, he's got two kids, his, his world is very similar to mine. He's in a rural part of Cuba. I'm in a rural part of Georgia. He's my age. Been married as long as I have. His kids are my, my age kids. He's pastoring a church. He's been pastoring that church for about the same amount of time I've been pastoring Calvary 316. And this is what's amazing. It's a government structure that, that limits the fact that they can't build an independent building. They're, they're afraid... And we've been warned every time that we speak at the church to not say anything against the Cuban government because there's plants within the audience that will report back what's said. They, they, they are not in fear, but they live within a reality that their church community could be shut down and they all sent away at any moment, that they could be arrested and made political prisoners. They're not free to witness publicly, though they do. Like, they live in a... A governmental structure, a political environment that Americans fear because we think that'll be the end. And yet I am telling you, the church is maybe more alive in Cuba than it is here. That you don't need a favorable governmental structure for the church to thrive. As a matter of fact, the church often thrives greatest in the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution. Along the same, same thread of thought. China, Hudson Taylor, the, the missionary movements 
of the 1800s, China Inland Mission. Amazing things were happening in China. And then the communist revolution took place and all the Christian missionaries were kicked out and the church was placed under enormous persecution, cut off from the outside world. And it was the fear of the church, of Christians, that the church in China, our brothers and sisters, were no longer there. That that type of opposition eliminated their ability to spread and to grow and to thrive. And then when China began loosening certain restrictions and Christians were able to go in, you know what we discovered? The church grew massively. As a matter of fact, China had a policy that if they found a home church, what they would do is they would take all of the people in the home church and they'd move them to other towns. But, but what ended up happening is you took one fire and one home and you took embers and put them into fresh, fresh places with fresh fuel and kindling. They'd take and break up a home church, move people to different towns. They were basically paying for missionaries to do missions within China. And the churches exploded. Americans, my exhortation is it's okay if things turn out to be the worst and things go to the direction we all fear. We shouldn't fear the church. The church has, has stood against much worse. The gospel will never be deterred. It will always thrive. And it often thrives with the most passion in the midst of its greatest opposition. So, with all that being said, Creighton, what are your thoughts, man? What, what are you thinking? Give me some audience feedback. So right now, I'm actually thinking about how funny it is that the Cuban government is putting people into the church. You said that there are plants in the audience. That's right. And they're, just, they're putting people into the church to be fed the word of God, which is kind of amazing because they would never think that that's what they're doing. The same way that the Chinese government was spreading fires, the Cuban government is just adding kindling to a fire that's already there, which is kind of amazing. It's not just kind of amazing. It's really amazing. You know, what, what's happening in this particular town is, is so profound. Like, it's so um, tangible and real and dangerous to the point that the Cuban government has never given um, any Christian entity a permit to build a new building. Even the Catholic Church. Catholic Church is free to operate their own buildings. But they're not, they haven't been free to build another church building, an independent building, until just recently. Again, we can't mention the town, but you want to guess where they were given license to build a building? I'm guessing it was right next to the church that we just helped plant. Absolutely. It's, it's literally down the street from Ramon is where they built this building. And what's funny, and I saw it, it's not even in operation. They've built it. It's got electricity. It's good to go. It's not in operation. It's not functional. They painted it identical to Ramon's church. It's painted with the same colors. That's so crazy to me. I've joked around with Ramon that the Catholic Church doesn't know this yet, but they built Ramon his, his first independent church building um, <laughs> at some point in the future. Well, Creighton, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you liked what you heard... I want to encourage you to do a few things. First, and I know this is brave. You have to go out of your way on this, but I'm just telling you it matters. Contact your local Christian radio station. If you're listening on the radio, contact whatever that FM is. Find their website, find an email address, find a phone number, contact them, and just say thank you. Just thank them that they're carrying Christian radio in your community, and specifically the Outlaw Radio Show. Second thing I want you to do is to visit our website. Outlaw Radio has a web website, very easy to find, outlawradio.org. Again, outlawradio.org. From the site, you can check out a lot of cool resources, but more specifically, you can get to our podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play. You can listen again to this episode in its entirety or any previous episodes we've ever done. Additionally, let me again encourage you to connect via Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. You can send us an email, info at outlawradio.org, or you can follow us at facebook.com slash theradiooutlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. 
As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.